the beginning uh, story of Joseph. So I'm going to give you all a quick uh, 30-ish second recap on what I went over last week. So last week we talked about Joseph. Now, you know Joseph in the coat of many colors. Um, the, what we went over was that he was Jacob, also known as Israel, uh, his favorite son for multiple reasons. And I kind of, what I did was find a super cool parallel between how Joseph was with Jacob and how we are with God, how he is seen as a special son, just like we are when we're saved, we are special in God's eyes. And when we're saved, that God sees us as not, not just an adopted son, but as if we were born already naturally in the family. And then we started talking more about how his brothers were super jealous of him because he got all this special treatment and the super nice, if y'all remember, tux-looking robe. And uh, they were super jealous of him. And then they started plotting and thinking, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? So that kind of leads us to round out the end of chapter 1, which I'm going to synopsis that as well because I realized I didn't even get through the whole first chapter. So we're going to be here for a while. I'm just kidding. We're not going to, we're not going to do the whole story because it's like a third of Genesis, and uh, we'd be here for a while. So uh, pretty much rounding up chapter 1, Joseph was sent in to check in on his brothers from his dad like he did at the beginning of the uh, last chapter. And uh, so he goes to check in on them, and they see him from a distance. And they're like, hey, that's our brother who just had a bunch of dreams about us, saying that we're going to bow down to him, even though he's younger. And dad makes him this super high-up-looking kind of guy to overwatch us, the older brothers. They were kind of ticked at him, so they were like, okay, well, let's kill him. And uh, so they were plotting to kill him while he was approaching but his brother Reuben changed their minds. He said, well, how about, hold on, guys. What about, what if we just threw him in this big old cistern, which if you think about it, it's kind of like a five-gallon bucket, but a lot bigger because they stored water in it. So they're like, just throw him in the cistern, and then we could take his robe, shred it up, cover it in blood, and tell Dad he got ate by a wild animal or something. And they're like, okay, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Well, Reuben left, and the other brothers were like, huh. We see these guys coming, the Ishmaelites, totally different tribe of people. Let's just sell him to him and get money and tell that he's dead. So that's what they did. And when Reuben came back, he was like, wait, what happened? Where, why is he not in the cistern anymore? And they said, oh, we done sold him. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Because his plan was to get the glory, be like, oh, look, I saved your favorite son. Now am I your favorite son? So he kind of got irritated at that. But the interesting thing is they still went through with tearing up this really nice, elegant robe, covering it in blood, and showing it to their dad. And he was just torn up to pieces about his favorite son being dead. And uh, it's interesting to think that throughout all that little kind of synopsis there that he could have Joseph could have gotten killed, and that would have been the end of Joseph, right? We wouldn't have much of an end of the book of Genesis. But it's interesting to see, because of his brother Reuben, he was kept safe from the hands of his brothers. And it's interesting to see that God will protect those whom he loves. 
And I have a super interesting story about that. Um, when me and Becca were dating, I was visiting my parents in South Alabama, and they, we were having dinner, just spending time together. Hadn't seen them in a while because they moved from here, and it was good to see my parents. And uh, Becca was off driving with her mom, and they both drove separately, so they went to the gas station, filled up, and then Becca pulled out first, her mom behind her, and they pulled out on the main street, and apparently there was this big old curve, and uh, I'm sure Becca will correct me if I'm wrong with any of this story later, but uh, there was a big curve that a trucker was coming around, and uh, Becca was going around the curve too, Well, the trucker decided to kind of get in her lane a little bit and nailed Becca's car, just totaled it completely. I, From what I heard, this thing couldn't, you couldn't pull it out even if you wanted to. This thing was decimated. I think the guy was, who knows how fast he was going, at least 50, though, around this corner. Well, I didn't know that was happening. And uh, Becca gave me a call while we were having dinner, and I saw, oh, I'll call her back later. She'll be fine. Well, like five or six calls later, I'm like, okay, so this is kind of important. So I was like, Mom, Dad, well, give me a minute. I'm going to get in. So I got my flip phone. Why? Because I'm an old man. And uh, I had my flip phone out, and I was like, Becca, what's going on? And she's like freaking out, like hysterical. And the only thing I got out of her was that she got hit by a truck, but she was fine. And I'm like, wait, what? You got hit by a what? And she said, yeah, my car got hit by a semi, and mom behind saw the whole thing happen. Mom's probably having a heart attack in the back, like, and my daughter is dead. Oh, my goodness. And, but no, Becca got out of that car, not only got out of the car, because it was a miracle the door was even able to open, or however she was able to get out, she got pulled out the window. So see, was, she was, got pulled out the window. The only damage she had was a broken finger. That's it. And I think it's because it was from the uh, airbag going off. So interesting to think that God, he's going to protect those he loves. Needless to say, Becca got a second PT cruiser and it's been running great. But Psalms 34, 19 says, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And so here is a fun rabbit trail that I'm fixing to go on. I like to call it thought about it last week. I was like, you know, this is more of like a scenic route because I still try to bring it back in. But we're going we're gonna to hit the scenic route real quick. So David wrote a lot of the Psalms, right? So he wrote this specific Psalm, Psalm 34. And if y'all know David, he went through the struggle. He hopped on the struggle bus and was full blast all the way to Strugglesville. And he got first, got hunted by King Saul. And at one point, he had a chance to kill King Saul. And he had, this was after he slayed Goliath, and he had this huge entourage that was like all about back in David. He was like the up-and-coming guy. And they were like, hey, man, Saul's out here in this cave. He's asleep. Take him out. Take the throne, man. This is all you. But he didn't. Not only that, he, when he cut the corner of his robe off, he felt so terrible about it that he went and repented for it. And you're thinking, and this guy could have taken the throne right then and there, and he's good. But why didn't he do that? Thing is, is he, God chose Saul to be the king at that time for a reason. And David wasn't meant to be king at that time. So just because we're given an opportunity like David was, doesn't mean that opportunity is necessarily 
from God. That like God didn't give you that door to open necessarily. Instead, we need to see if this opportunity that comes up aligns with the word. So just because someone might come up with you to you and totally extreme example be like trying to sell you drugs and be like, hey man, you want some uh, stuff? That's not God saying, yes, you may go do the drugs and things. No, that's not it. Maybe that's more like Satan trying to be like, hey, let's pull him into this little situation here and totally derail what God had planned. So when you have an opportunity come up in your life, be sure it aligns with what God's word says. And if it doesn't, you need to be careful with your decisions moving forward. So God provides for those who he leads and teaches. And we're equipped with the word so we can discern those situations. We have the word here with us. That's why we dig into the word. That's why Pastor Allen talks about, you know, digging into the word when you're at home because when these situations come and we're trying to figure out, okay, is this from God or is this not? The word is going to give us an idea of where to go. We might not have this huge angelic light come down and a voice from heaven telling us don't go that way or do the go this way you might not get that in fact i don't think i've ever had that so god this is our instruction manual if we're not sure what to do we pray and we ask god and then a lot of the time the answer is right here in front of us we just need to dive in dive in plug in there that was pretty neat but uh we don't rush God's timing like David didn't rush God's timing. And uh, as an interesting story for me, prior to dating Becca, I had a uh, girlfriend who uh, I kind of rushed into a relationship because I kept seeing all my friends getting girlfriends. And I'm like, man, I'm single. This kind of stinks. And this is high school me, okay? That's how long, i kind of give you an idea of how long me and Becca have been together. Whew. But I was in high school and I was like, girlfriend man I need to get a girlfriend so first girl that showed up that was single I was like boom here we go yep that's it and signed seal delivered I'm yours and so we started dating but it didn't quite click and it didn't feel right there was just some things about her that I just I couldn't get over and long story short it didn't work out and so I said you know what God I'm gonna back up on this one I'm gonna stay single for a bit and I'm going to see if we find the right one, because this, that didn't work. Well, then, come behold the Becca. She came in, and this is where I did have the whole light come down, beaming down, doves shooting out everywhere while she was in her monkey pajamas playing rock band, the drums part. How I remember that is beyond me. Yeah, that's right. But uh, I, that's, when I first saw her, I knew that she was someone special. So you don't rush God's timing when you want it to be with your timing. Not to say that you aren't supposed to uh, intervene and move sooner. It's just be sure it's God's timing. So sometimes we need to wait. Sometimes we need to act now. It's kind of like, and I love to cook, it's kind of like making bread or making dough. I love pizza, like to a really weird extreme. Like, I'm going to get crazy with it and make my dough and set it in the fridge for X amount of time and all this crazy stuff because I love it way too much. And what I've learned with it is when you use yeast with it, you need to let it rise. If you don't, 
you've got a flatbread and that's not pizza. And trust me when I say, it's not the same. But if you let it go too long, the yeast has grown too much and then it gets this funky little weird kind of smell and then it flattens out because all the yeast has died off. So just like God, whenever he puts a situation in your life, you need to, and when it comes to dough, you kind of pound it, you kind of give it a good little punch to flatten it when it's time. Sometimes we need to intervene when God sets up the opportune moment for us, but we need to be able to discern when so we don't go too early and we miss out on something, but we don't go too late and we've already passed that door that he's putting for us. Okay, so back in to Genesis 39, 1 through 5. We're going to start with today's thing. That was just the intro. Was that awesome? But <laughs> so Genesis 39, 1 through 5. Let me, let's flip over to it because I've got it here. And it says this was after he got sold. Now, Joseph was sold to this fella named Potiphar. And it says in verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So we're looking in here, and it looks like Potiphar saw God was blessing Joseph, and he was like, I need to hop in on that blessing train. And so he put him in charge of essentially everything over his household. So the first thing we noticed here is God, he heaps blessings on those who are faithful to him, even when you're in tough circumstances. Because Joseph, he went from being able to oversee his brothers and being this top dog to thrown into a watering bin, then sold off to some guys, and then now a servant brought all the way down, but then God still blesses him in the circumstances. Matthew twenty five twenty nine says, For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So, even when you have a little that God's given you, and it could just be that little talent you might have. It could be like uh, when Keith first started playing guitar, he just started with a little bit of talent here with it. God, you can use that talent. You can use that little thing. I like to think of it kind of like a, a car. Salvation is kind of like a car that God gave us. Like, you know, when you're a kid and your parents were super cool and gave you a car. I didn't really get, well, I did get that, but I wrecked that car. That's a different story. But salvation is like a car that God's freely given us. And he gave us the gas, the ability, and the talents, and the instructions to go. That car is our salvation, and the gas is our talents and the things God's blessed us with to get up and go and do the things that we weren't able to do. Like, if I didn't have a car, there's no way I'm walking to Atlanta to go to Six Flags. Are you kidding me? That's like 
How many days? No, I'm good. I walk enough at work as a nurse. I'm, I'm good. But with that car, I'm able to go there. Same with our salvation. We're saved. We are now structured with that ability and that talent to go. And it's up to us to take that key, put it in the engine, and go. See, we have all the blessings and the talents that God has given us. And some of us are pretty well aware of those. But we have to be willing to take those things and move it forward for God's will. Because we can either be sitting on it and be like, well, you know, I've got this talent and this thing that I'm really good at, but, you know, I don't want to waste it because, you know, I don't want to, what if I upset someone? Well, God's going to give you a way through every situation, so don't worry about the situations you're about to drive through. Just go. Say, God, I'm willing. Take me as I am. Take my talents. Take me, and let's go. Let's go for this ride. And so when we faithfully follow God and we faithfully go and do those things, take our talents and take the things God has given us, those blessings will continue to come and heap, and not only heap on us, but overflow to those around us. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and then verse 11 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So when we go and take those talents and we go and do those things and we're generous with it, we go and we bless others with those talents, we pour those blessings onto them. God's going to fill us back up. It's like a cup that you put under just a spigot. You may be filled overflowing, and then you pour it out, and then you fill it back up. And you can do it over and over again, because God's blessings, as long as you are following in his word, no matter what comes at us, those blessings are going to still keep coming, whether we may think it or not. And we're still going to be able to bring that overflow to others. So... And the interesting thing is, is when we get these blessings, we get a kind of a joy with it, especially, I don't know about y'all, but I get a huge joy whenever I'm able to bless others. And when you're able to do that, that joy and that blessing from that continues. And we don't find this kind of same joy in just stuff, right? And just things, um, and it's not like when you get a million bucks, and trust me when I say getting a million dollars sounds great, but that's going to be here and gone tomorrow. Like, you could put that money in the bank and think you're secure, and then the bank goes bankrupt, or it catches on fire, or the computer system gets hacked, and your money's gone. So there's, in the things of this world, you think, oh, well, I'm going to get these blessings. I'm going to get this joy. I'm going to get this good feeling but the thing is is that's not permanent it's not gonna stay there forever see the joy of the lord is always renewing it's always coming back and so even when you think you've given and given and given so much god's gonna keep filling you back in with those blessings and with that joy and the second thing is when we get this overflow of blessings from god it kind of opens up a door to share christ people see see and be like Hold up, why are you doing all these things for me when you 
didn't really have to. It's kind of interesting, like my, uh, my buddy Zach, y'all know Zach. He, he, he's been out on his, um, his internships, that's why he's not here. But he, it's interesting to see he, this guy, he will go and give a ride to this random dude that he kind of met from a friend's friend. And he, give, he would give him a ride from work to his house every day. He didn't have to do that. But he was blessed to have this nice car that's got low mileage that he can do that and the time to be able to do that. See, not everyone's able to bring that kind of blessing like he was able to. And with that, that would open up the door. I'm not sure if he had the uh, time or the opening to do it, but I could see happening where the guy would come to him and be like, why are you doing this, man? Like, you don't have to do this. And that would open up a door for Zach to be able to bring that good word. So it's interesting to see these blessings we get in our lives open up doors to bring the good news. So moving along, we're going down to verses uh, 8 and 9. And, well, we're going to start with 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome like Zac Efron. And uh, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. He said, With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So the, what happened was, Potiphar's wife caught an eye on him and thought, he's a good-looking dude. I might, uh, I might kind of nudge his shoulder and see what he's up to. But how did he react in this situation? See, Joseph, he got approached with this temptation. And he could have done one of two things. He could have dove right on in, got in, just totally engulfed by the temptation, and just gone in. Or he could have done what he did. And what he did, which was interesting to me, is he kind of pulled back from the situation. He didn't let the sin overwhelm him and make him think just in this one-track mind. But he was able to pull back and look at the whole situation, kind of like how God sees this bigger picture in our life. And he brings up the blessings that he currently is going through right up front. And so what's our focus whenever we're under the gun with temptation? And it could be anything. I mean, it could be from uh, like Pastor Allen's temptation with Krispy Kreme, for instance. I mean, that's a solid temptation, not going to lie. Mine would have been this Taco Bell we had this night. So good. Oh, my goodness. The grilled cheese burrito is fantastic. But what's... What's your focus under temptation? Is it the temptation or is it the solution? Because the temptation only comes as a problem, as a stumbling block. So are we going to just look at the problem and focus on the problem and then eventually fall into the problem? Or are we going to look towards the solution? I find an interesting parallel with this, with Adam, you know, Adam, Adam and Eve, Adam, first Adam, and Joseph. See, they're in both very similar circumstances here. They both have whatever they want. Um, they 
can roam around, eat whatever they want. I bet you Adam could have ate the greatest blueberries of all time. And I love blueberries so much. He could have had that. He could have went and picked some peaches and some pears and just had a great time. But then he got tempted with the one thing he couldn't have. Just like Joseph was tempted with the one thing he couldn't have, which was Potiphar's wife. And they both reacted differently. Adam reacted in his fleshly desires, gave into the temptation that Satan brought. And we all know the story. He sinned and then brought sin upon the world and then thus everything else within the word. Versus what Joseph did. He pulled out of looking at the temptation, looking at the problem, and he put and said, look, look what God's done for me. He put me in this situation. Yeah, I came from a crummy one, but God put me where I'm at. He brought me to this pedestal where I'm at, and I can have everything here but you. So why would I give up all this blessing in order to have this one thing to totally ruin it all? And it's interesting to see he did that. So when, so how can we move forward to what God wants in our life when we look at those old problems? And see, I used to kind of have that thought process where I would look at the uh, problem. I would have a problem come up in my life, whether, gosh, it would just be maybe someone stressing me out. I'm in a terrible situation. For instance, today even, I was stressed out beyond belief because work has been absolutely banana pancakes. And I just was getting stressed out and overwhelmed. I got messages left and right and left and right. And I'm like, goodness gracious, y'all need to calm down. Every single one, you line up and calm down individually. Like, this is getting ridiculous. So I was getting irritated and stressed. But then what I realized, I was looking at the problem. And I didn't realize that it's okay. It's a finite issue. And God's still here with me. He's not leaving anywhere. And then when we came into worship, it's, it felt like, okay, my eyes are off the problem and on the right answer. And when I did, it was the first time all day today that I felt actually finally content and relaxed and happy and filled with the joy that the Lord gave. Because I hadn't had that all day today. Like, legit, I haven't had anything. It's been stressful. I've been, I want to pull my hair out, honestly. And then when I realized, if I just put my focus back on God and realize he's already gotten this figured out, why am I looking at this one thing that's trying to trip me up when I've got all this blessing around me? Super cool to think about it that way. But the thing is, is when you continue to look at the problem, when you continue to look at the thing tripping you up, that's all you're going to get. If you keep looking at, like for instance, whenever you're driving a car, they always say, look at the road, look straight ahead. Don't look at the thing over there, that big old crash, because, oh, ooh, fire and stuff. Don't get me wrong, it looks neat. But when you do that, you're not paying attention, and then, boom, you hit that car in front of you, and then we've got second pile up in aisle number two here. But like verse 10 says, though, she was pretty persistent. It says, and though she spoke to Joseph... Day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So she was pretty persistent on going after this young fella here. 
And so that's the thing with temptation, and that's the thing with Satan. And it's easy, especially I've noticed nowadays, it's easy to think, oh, well, I can overcome this one thing, and it's going to be awesome, and I will be victorious, and it's going to be great. But we lose sight of the fact that it's great to win the battle, but Satan's here for the long haul to pull us away from God. We've got to continue to persist. This isn't just a sprint. Our spiritual walk, and we may have heard this over and over again, it's a marathon. So yeah, we might pass that one guy and that one dude in this race, but he's still running the whole 5K with you, man. You might have beat him in the first 100 feet, but we've got a long ways to go. So when Satan comes back, and he will come back, it says he comes as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is always on the hunt. So we need to realize that we are in not just a singular one set battle like the Lord of the Rings. They would have this huge singular battle and it's epic and it's awesome. The good guys win and it's awesome. I wish that our walk was like that because that would be super cool. And the Lord of the Rings is a great trilogy I highly recommend. But it's not like that. I wish it was, but it's not like that. Our walk... Every day is just that. We're walking step by step, day by day. And Satan's going to throw something to trip us up. And it might not be tomorrow that it happens. It might not be until next month that it happens. But he lies and waits. And when he comes, he tries to throw that thing up to trip you up. And we need to always be persistent to hide God's word in our heart so that we can refocus our mind. We need to always renew our mind on a regular basis, not just daily, but sometimes like, we have to do this moment by moment because there will always be that one thing to come to trip you up. And sometimes we need to account on someone we care about where it says in the God's word, iron sharpens iron. Sometimes we need to go find an accountability partner, someone to be like, hey man, I'm going through this thing. I need you to pray with me. We need to talk this thing out. Or sometimes you need to dig into God's word and say, God, what do you say about this? Because I am having a struggle right now. Or you might just need to dive into worship and say, God, I'm taking my focus off of this and I'm putting it on you because you are already the great provider. You are the great physician. You are already been, you know what we've gone through. You know what we're going through. And I'm just going to worship you through it because there's already victory in it. So we need to be able to realize Satan's not going to stop. It's kind of like, who's, who's seen Door of the Explorer? Great show, right? Yes, Keith has. Yes, yes. Such a great show, right? But y'all know Swiper, right? Swiper knows Swiper. He shows up like every episode. And he keeps trying to swipe stuff from Dora over and over. He kind of sneaks up on the down low, and he's like, I'm going to get the thing. And Dora's like, Swiper, no swiping. It's not like he just does that once and he disappears and you don't ever see him again. He's there all the time. He shows up every every episode, every time. She has to shoo him off every time. That's how we need to treat Satan. He's going to be trying to come in on the down low to trip us up, to kind of pull something sneaky through the back. And we need to realize we need to be on guard for that. And when Satan comes, we need to say, no, this is what God's word says. I will not let you come in here and you better flee in the name of Jesus. And you need to stand firm with it every time. And we might not be able to feel like we can every time. That's where the body of Christ comes in and our brothers and sisters. But you 
God won't let that thing come at you if you, if you can't overcome it. So, it's easy to get caught up in the single battle wins, but we need to always be ready for Satan's three moves ahead. Now, we're going to go to verses 11 and start from 11 to 12. One day, he went, this is Joseph, went on to the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So it's interesting to see. First off, he was there by himself. He didn't have any other servants there. He didn't have his homeboy Billy up in there with him to get his back. Now he was isolated. And that's the thing is when you get into a place where temptation is possible or will, where sin is more likely to come into your life, don't go there. It could be anything. If your route towards work every day, like Becca says, pass Krispy Kreme. Look, we've got a great thing called Google Maps. Find a different route. If it's that bad and you see that hotline on every day and you're just like, man, that doesn't don't sound good though, and you can't help it, look, sometimes you just need to find a different route. It might take a couple minutes, but your blood sugar will thank you for it sometimes. God gave us a brain. I mean, we are meant to use them. It's like a little kid where they are a little kid, and it's the old analogy of them wanting to put the hand on the stove. And yeah, it's cool, and if it's one of those little coils, you see the glowy, and they're like, ooh, that looks cool, I want to touch it. And you're like, no, Timmy, no, don't do it, don't do it. And eventually, if you let, if they sneak in and they, you don't catch them, they're going to burn themselves. So we don't need to be that little kid and put ourselves in the kitchen where we can get burned. So when you find yourself in that hole, though, say you just somehow are in that situation where you just, you don't know what to do, and you've been resisting over and over and over, just run. Just run. And what I mean by run is sometimes you've got to make a permanent decision on the thing that is coming at you. You can say to Satan, no, every time, and no, every time, but when you get in a situation where you're like, okay, this is getting ridiculous, you need to make a permanent change. So it could be anything. Say you're addicted to, I don't know, Facebook. And you're like, look, I need some time away from this because my dad is telling me I'm already like a teenage girl on my phone. He says that about my mom all the time, and it tickles me so much. But it, it, it could be that thing on your phone where you're like, you know what? I just need to delete it. Just get rid of it. Or it could be, I just need to just not go drive that way to work and avoid that whole Krispy Kreme altogether and make it a habit and stay away from it. You might have to cut that person out of your life. Yeah, you, you might have to do that. And it's hard to cut someone out of your life when you may have been friends with them forever. But if that person is going to be a stumbling block in your life and you can't find a way to help lift them up and help bring them up. If they're going to be the one to bring you down, you got to do it sometimes. Sometimes you've got to make those tough decisions in your walk. And it's not an easy thing to do. But 
if you are going to live in victory and in the blessings God has for you, you have to do it sometimes. In fact, Matthew 18.8 says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Now, I'm about to get super nerdy with y'all because I love medical stuff because, you know, nurse. So it's like, it's kind of like a diabetic patient. Now, I don't know if y'all are familiar with this, and I'm just about to get really nerdy with y'all, but they get, some, they get something called neuropathy where they can't feel their feet. And so what they're going to do is they're going to step in their janky old shoes over and over in the same spot till they get a callus, and that causes a ulcer. And then if you let this ulcer fester and get infected and nasty, eventually they get their leg cut off. That's the whole process with it, unfortunately. And I see it on a regular basis. But the thing is, is that's kind of like the problems in our life and the temptations that come in. See, it starts off just kind of like as a little, well, we, you know, it's not a big deal. I mean, I can build up and fight it off just like that callus on your foot. I can fight it off. I've got God in my heart. And, but it only takes one little trip, one little misstep, and then boom, you've got a little sore there. And unless you treat it immediately, it's going to get worse until you face it up forward, that problem that's in your life is only going to get worse and only going to get worse. And you don't want to have to get to that point where you have to cut someone off and hurt someone's feelings. You don't want to have to get to that point where you have to tell someone, you know what, I can't be around you anymore because if I'm around you, I can't do the same stuff anymore. Whether it is you have that friend who's into drinking or smoking or whatever, you don't want to have to draw that line. So sometimes you have to, and when you do, you need to cut it off. But you don't want to get to that situation, so that's why we are very, you need to be vigilant on top of the things in your life, what is a stumbling block, what's not. And if you're not sure if you have one, it's always good to have that accountability person in your life because then they can see it from a point of view like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but from what I'm saying, this is what I'm saying, and based on God's word, this is what it sees. And it's good to have that second person there with you. So, interesting thing is, later on, Potiphar's wife then blames Joseph for something he didn't do. And it's interesting to see. I don't know if y'all have had those siblings where they kind of rat you out. Like, my brother, he would, uh, we'd sit in the back of our van, and uh, I'd be on one side, he'd be on the other and there's a uh, seatbelt, you know, the lap seatbelts in the middle. You would grab that sucker and go, and just hit me with it. And he'd be like, oh, Jordan, stop it. I'm like, bro, what the heck? And he'd be like, Jordan, hit me. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And then I'd hear, Jordan, don't do it. And I'm like, fine. And then you'd see him smirking in the corner, like, I'm going to get you. Oh, I'm going to get you. It's, it's kind of like that. And that's kind of in a very lower sense, kind of like what happened to Joseph here. But the thing is, is that even though we may perfectly follow God's plan, we aren't, you know, falling away off the side. We are keeping our mind right. We're keeping our focus on God. We're digging into the word. We're praying every day. Satan's still going to come at us. And if anything, he's going to come at us even harder. It's almost like you got a bullseye on your back. 
whenever Satan's going to come at you in those situations. And see, the thing is, we're his enemy when we're walking in line with God because we're doing the things that Jesus, who overthrew him, wants us to do. So he's going to have even more reason to come at us when we're walking right with God. So sometimes bad things happen to good people. And it's not necessarily because, oh, they messed up or they sinned, kind of like the brothers of Job or his buddies said, oh, this guy must have did something wrong. Well, maybe not necessarily. Maybe it just comes up because we live in a fallen world and these things just happen. I have had plenty of patients who were God-fearing men and they would have lung cancer because they made a poor decision. They chose to smoke when they were younger. They stopped 20 years ago, but now they're 80 and they've got COPD and they can't breathe. And sometimes, even though we make the right decisions and we do the right thing, bad things still happen. And we go from no threat when we're not saved to a major threat to Satan when that happens. And so we know Satan's going to come at us. We know it. We've already talked about that. This is a war for him, and he's going to keep coming at us whether we like it or not. But you know what's super cool is that even though he's always going to come at us, God ain't leaving us. He is not going anywhere. And he's always provided us through the struggle. He's always provided us through everything we've gone through, every you know, tough thing. Think back about just anything that may have happened in your life where you thought, man, there's no way. I can get through this. Like a, whenever I did my boards for nursing, I thought, okay, I studied like crazy for this, but there's no way I passed that. Are you kidding me? This thing was nuts. I didn't know the answer to this or this or this. But God makes a way through things that just, when Satan comes at us, we've got a God that's already overcome him. And he's on our side and he loves us. So all the more reason to go more forward boldly in our walk because If our God is for us, Satan can't stand against us. And so we're going to skip a little bit down to verse 20 through 23. And so Potiphar's wife went up to her husband, Potiphar, and was like, hey, this uh, slave tried to come at me. And so he was pretty irritated. It said he, in verse 19, he burned with anger. And so Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed favor to him, kindness, and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those things held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So it's interesting to see that Satan will come up to us, and he will totally just grab the table and flip it like it's just going out of style. Even though we didn't do anything wrong, Satan's going to come and eat that table across the room. But it's cool how to see that even though that table gets flipped, God's like, all right, you did that. Here's a new one set up right there for you. God finds a way to bless us in the midst of a trial. In fact, gosh, two days ago yesterday, I was, again, stressed out because work has been crazy, and I heard three code blues, and I'm sure y'all could imagine that's when you do the CPR and stuff, 
three code blues in one hour, and then I found out later there was two more after I got off work on one single patient. And I had one super difficult patient to work with. I was trying to work with, and they just weren't listening. And then there was another patient that was just yelling just consistently right outside my office that I could hear. And I was like, oh, my goodness, today is absolutely bonkers, and it's driving me nuts. And Satan decided to throw all those tables up in front of me and just try to get me. But then I went and saw this patient that I've seen before, And I was like, I can't remember the name exactly, but I go up in there, and uh, this dude had the biggest, goofiest grin I have seen all month. And he's like, hey, man, you you guys hiring here? Big, goofy grin. And I'm like, sure, yeah, I don't know. This guy's like in a wheelchair, and I'm like, I don't know what you can do here, bub, but uh, yeah, yeah, we, we got jobs here. And he's like, okay, how good they pay? Yeah, big, goofy grin. I'm like... Dude, are you serious? Or are you just messing with me? Like, this is funny. I'm like, well, they pay and start at 10 bucks an hour, man. He's like, oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hey, would you hire me? And I'm like, I don't make that call, but just because you have this super awesome, fun, carefree attitude, yeah, man, I will hire you on the spot. I don't care what it is. Go get me a cup of coffee. I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. That's fine. I don't care. So it's interesting to see that even in the midst of all this stuff, coronavirus stuff and stress and everything back and forth getting pulled from side to side and messages about one thing and all these crazy patients in here it's interesting to see that God is still able to bring joy and bring blessings to our lives in the midst of absolute chaos it's amazing and God is able to do that even though Satan tries to mess all that up there's always that reminder God's with us He's there for us. He's never going to leave us. And I would love to go through the rest of the Joseph story with y'all, but um, I have to go feed my dog at some point tonight, and I'm sure she would be super hungry, so I'm not going to do that. I know we were, go- we were about to go into a 49-point lesson on Joseph and stay here until about 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd love to do that, but we're not going to do that. But if there's anything that y'all get out of this is... God's going to provide for you regardless of the things that comes at you in your life. You could be having a great day, a huge blessing of a day, or you could just have an absolute just dumpster fire of a day. And it doesn't matter what day you've got going on. God's there with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not turned his back on you, and he still loves you just as much on that super high note day. He's the God of that mountain just as much as the God of that valley. So... I'm just going to pray us out and we'll get